This is a series on the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline for the Global Methodist Church. I'm a Global Methodist elder. My name is Jeffrey Rickman. This is going to be the third segment out of, I don't know how many it's going to turn out being. The whole premise of this is that uh, coming out of the United Methodist Church, there's this new body, the Global Methodist Church, that needs to learn the lessons of where we came from in order to build an edifice that is uh, defensible and worthy of defense. And so uh, to help me contend for the faith this morning, uh, my producer, T.J. Owens, is here. We're in the studio. He's about to go to Mexico, so we're, we're cramming nine pages in today. We're going to cover um, the first four sections of part three today. This is the section that deals with the community of God's people. And so we're covering four sections, hopefully. It's going to be nine pages. And what have we gone over already? So we did one video already. It was me and you. Yeah, the first one was doctrine, the doctrinal standards of the Global Methodist Church. Right. That was section one, part one. Part two was the social witness of the church, and so my brother Daniel, Daniel came yeah. last week. We did that. If you haven't seen those, those are really, I think, the most important ones. Those are the ones that whenever you vote to join the Global Methodist Church, you say explicitly that you agree with those. So... They haven't gotten a whole lot of play yet. I don't really know why. I think a lot of people are excited about the GMC and want to know what it stands for. But um, what I suspect is the case, I kind of wanted to ask you about this. I think there are a lot of people who are of the mentality, just give me Jesus. What do we need all these words for? And so they just get really tired with these words. Do you think that that's it, or do you think there's something else behind a general dis disinterest? It's probably a couple of things. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of reading and a lot of stuff to go through, and then it is a transitional book, so it's probably going to change a little bit. Maybe not that much. It's going to depend um, over the next. Well, I guess general conference is going to be next year right. in Costa Rica. Right. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it could be. I think it's a multiple, multiple things. It is a lot of reading, but we're doing the reading for you. You just have to listen, okay? So, and yeah, you still have to use your brain, but that's something you should be doing anyway and enjoying. Um, it is going to change at the first convening conference. However, this is the backbone on which all the meat is going to uh, be be hung. So, it's good to know in any structure that you're joining, any group that you're joining, what is the backbone? What is everything affixed to? What is Well, the there's a lot of it that's similar to the United Methodist Church, so maybe they already know about right. that. No, I, I doubt mean, it very much. I mean, so this is part of when we're talking about what lessons do we need to learn from the United Methodist Church. It's we need to make sure that we know what's in writing, and nothing should be put in writing unless it's something that we're willing to defend. You know, those are things that. I, so, if you if you watch last week's thing, if you read my Substack, you know that that I'm of the mind that even though I agree with 99% of what's said in the social social witness, I still don't think it should be put in writing because it alienates people that I don't think GMC leadership wants to alienate. So, I just think the only things that you should have in writing outside of the Bible are those things that you're uh, willing to divide over. But this aspirational stuff that's optional, I think, causes more division than help. So, and you, you can, yeah, I, I Maybe, guess you're yeah. not in the same place as me. So no, um, I, people are going to ask, well, what's your position on these? And if they've got the positions already set set down, then that's that's good to know. Well, I think their uh, um, wording in that stuff was a little too vague for me, and they didn't define terms, and it was just a little wishy-washy. Um, I mean, it's good to have, I, I think. I mean, because? 
because people are going to ask, well, what do you, what does your church believe about this? What do you, what do you believe about this? And then those might be different, but if, if, if your church has got already down on paper, what they, what they believe about a certain issue, I think that's kind of helpful. Because then you can say, we have a position here. Yeah, sure. And yeah. if you don't like that position, don't join us. Get out. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't know. See, that's the only point. I <laughs> yeah. Think no. For, if they're not going to kick people out, yeah. then it's like I, I, I see where you're coming from. It's What's weird if point? you're like, here's how we feel about abortion, but if you disagree, you can join anyway. It's cool. Well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be a pretty big one. Yeah. Well, and if it's not that big, then don't take a stand. Yeah. Just like I don't you know, know. I see what you're. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't All know. Right. I, you I think they're going to kick people out? I, they, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I, I'm really pessimistic, and I don't think they're going to kick people out for a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be— So there's, there's kicking people out, but then there's keeping people out. Keeping people out is a little bit easier. So if on the front end you're taking people and saying, hey, you're going to take a vote on if you join us, and in that vote you have to explicitly say you agree with these things. And these things are pretty clear. This is how we feel and, and what we do. So if you don't agree with those things, do not— Vote to join us. Well, yeah, but it's going to turn into the UMC thing where they're like, oh, well, well you know, we probably could just, we're going to try to change that stuff. Like, we don't really believe it. We're going to say we believe it, but let's try to change it. And then you've got that's I, that's what's going to happen. Unless you say, hey, I hadn't heard you prophesy before. That was quite a thing. I, <laughs> I, that was, like your I said, first, was that your first prophecy? I, I'm, I'm very pessimistic. <laughs> okay. I'm very pessimistic. And uh, see, and I'm not, and that's why I'm doing this series. Right. I, I want, I want to belong to a body that has integrity and that doesn't, doesn't draw a line that it's not willing to defend. You don't, don't hear me wrong. I, I hope that yeah. that is not the case. Yeah. I, I, think I hope what I'm saying hopes. is not the case. It's just really hard to say with a straight face, I think that we're going to buck human nature, you yeah, know, because yeah. that's essentially what it is. All right, listen, we need to get into it. Um, yeah, it's uh, going to be long already. <laughs> uh, well, maybe maybe we already covered everything and we can just sail through. This is part three, the community of God's people. Um, section one, foundational principles, paragraph 301, the mission of the church. The mission of the global Methodist church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who worship passionately love extravagantly, and worship, worship, witness, witness boldly. I don't know what's wrong with me. So that, that's the mission statement right there. That's already been publicized everywhere. Most, most GMC leadership can recite that. The, here, the, there's more to it here, though. Anchored in our belief in Jesus Christ, the church is of God and will pre be preserved to the end of time to worship God in spirit and in truth, to faithfully preach God's word and offer the holy sacraments, to edify all who believe and encourage them to grow in their lives of holiness and service to others, to minister to those who are in special need, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to present the world with a clear and compelling invitation to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. All those of every age and station stand in need of the grace that God has promised to extend to others through his body, the church, while it is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of individuals, ours is the task of sharing the good news of God as we respond to the summons of Christ in Matthew 28, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Even as Christ has promised to remain with us always, quote, even to the end of the age, end quote. Anything to object? to there or comment on? Um, There's no. a lot of content. Uh, love extravagantly. Oh, yeah. At little, the, 
Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm stuck up at the top. Yeah. Um, make disciples fine. Sure. Um, I don't have a problem with worship passionately, great witness boldly, love extravagantly. What does that mean? UMC people think they love extravagantly. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, there was a guy, the UMC guy, when this came out, he got on the UMC, UM clergy page and was like, how, how are these distinctive markers? Like, yeah. the, they left us in order to do what we're already doing. Yeah. What is, what is love? <laughs> like, it's, it's intentional. I, I've, you know, for better or for worse, I've seen this as kind of like a marketing. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's slogan y stuff yeah. for sure. Yeah, which I don't care for. But open hearts, open minds, open doors. That yeah. was the United Methodist thing. So, it you know, to their is. credit, they're at least trying to describe disciples. You know, the United Methodist Church, the mission was to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, and they never defined what a disciple is. Right. So it created no unity around the mind of Christ, shared identity. It was all too spread out here. But, you know, even this, I go, you know, what about people who their worship is not particularly passionate, but is faithful and consistent? They can't yeah. be global Methodists, you know? What about people whose love is measured and fair, you know? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I just start... I mean, we can, we can nitpick That it sounds nitpicky, yeah. but I'm going, okay, look, if you're going to set things in stone for everybody then I would like it to actually mean something, you know? Yeah. So, I so what, would, what would you think that they, they should have it? So say? if it was the, the church as I get to design it, it would be uh, the mission of the Global Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who actually resemble him and walk <laughs> in the footsteps of his disciples uh, uh, seen very clearly through the Methodist tradition led by John Wesley or something like that. Okay. So... I, th I think that would be a good, and then the That's conversation okay. can, can be around we can like pick at that too. What but, did, I mean, it's you you could, but you'd be okay. wrong. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, the whole point, and they do dis describe discipleship. They define it lower down in a satisfactory way. Yeah. Um, but here, it's you know they're not trying to actually define discipleship necessarily right here. They're just saying here are the distinctive markers about global Methodist disciples. Right. So they get left to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's. I, even, I'm cool with that. You know, I I would go to to be disciples. If, if we could just be disciples, I would consider it a victory. You know, but they're they're very evangelistically minded. So oh, I hope so. Yeah, making okay. We'll we'll come back to that. Let's go to the second paragraph. I don't know. The, the, I, I'm glad that they're more uh, evangelistically evangelistically minded. driven because I feel like the UMC has been has gotten to the point where they're like, well, that's mean. How dare you tell somebody their their beliefs are wrong? It's it's some kind of weird colonization thing if you're trying to push your beliefs on somebody else, especially if they're in a different country. Well, and but the but the UMC that mentality came out of a high evangelistic drive. We want all people to feel like they belong, so we are going to lower the standards as much as possible. To belong. So you're saying they they were so evangel evangelically yeah driven that it just flip flopped on them and they decided, oh, well, we can't be that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, before Methodism was too exclusive, the standards were too high, they were too judgmental. We need to get rid of all of that. And we need to help people feel accepted and blessed as they come in. You're not going to—the whole ethic was you win more flies with sugar than sure, yeah. vinegar or whatever, so, honey than vinegar. So so that was so their you think evangelism. It's, you think it's bad that they're so concerned with evangelism up front? So 
the argument that I'm going to make in the global Methodist context, which they might chase me out for, is that prioritizing evangelism inherently uh, compromises the truth of the gospel. Interesting. So it's not that we're indifferent to the salvation of others, it's just that we prioritize the truth of the gospel over effectiveness in winning people. Okay, that makes sense. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Okay. Yeah, you'd be weird. I, most, peop, most people want to say you can do both. And I'm, I'm actually of the mind that when you prioritize evangelism too high, that's when you... I mean, I, that's what we saw in the United Methodist Church. You yeah, compromise... you just get everybody coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Paragraph 2 uh, of paragraph 301. Actually, it's a third paragraph. Anyway, following the example of early Methodists, we believe God has raised us up in order to, quote, spread scriptural holiness across the land, embodying that, quote, grand depositum, of the faith that John Wesley believed had been entrusted to the people called Methodists. The continued striving for entire sanctification in our lives as individual believers in Christ and as those gathered together in local congregations, our calling is to connect with the communities of the world around us, extending both grace and mercy. Growing in our personal faith and effectively discipling others are both lifelong expressions of loving the Lord with all of our hearts, all of our being, and all of our minds, as well as loving our neighbor as ourselves. So, to their credit, to our credit, entire sanctification is right on the front of all this. This is, this is when it says a grand depositum, this really is one of the unique doctrinal positions of Methodists. We don't have many. We... we, we Sure. Yeah. Took most of our stuff from other people, but this this doctrine that is rooted in a high pneumatology or a high belief in the Holy Spirit's power um, is something that, once again, the United Methodist Church really backed away from that we're reclaiming and leaning leaning into. So it'll get more into these particular other uh, tasks here. So I don't think we really need to belabor much. Uh, here, unless there's something you want to camp out no, on. No, no. Okay. Paragraph 302, a global church. John Wesley famously declared in his journal on June 11th, 1739, quote, I look upon all the world as my parish. Thus far, I mean that in whatever part of it I am, I judge it meet, right, and my bounden duty to declare unto all that are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvation, end quote. Since that time, Methodists have recognized that at the core of our church's mission is ensuring that the good news of Jesus Christ is shared around the globe, from Britain to the Americas to the Caribbean, Europe, Africa, and Asia. The Methodists who came before us shared Jesus' message of salvation. Today, our mission receives this rich inheritance and moves forward boldly into a new chapter. We recognize the world is the parish of the global Methodist Church. We are active in advancing the cause of Christ on multiple continents, and our faith communities will continue to do so. Ours is a global church that recognizes the gifts and contributions of each part of our communion in Christ, working together as partners in the gospel with equal voice and leadership. Learning from each other and sharing best practices across cultures, we followed the admonition of St. Paul that, quote, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, and quote, that together we are the body of Christ, sharing, in quote, an equal concern for one another. That's 1 Corinthians 12. Our vision of a global church is one marked by mutual love, concern, sharing, and accountability. I think that's the most essential uh, or substantial portion there. Yeah, yeah. 
Accountability okay. at the end. That's what's stick to that. Yeah. Well, and that's what's particularly showing in the United Methodist Church right now is they are trying to pass this regionalization plan so that they don't have to yeah. be accountable to African counterparts. Like Africa's accountable to themselves and North America's yeah. accountable to themselves. Keeping it con- and, they're keeping it contained, which is the opposite of the church Catholic or the, right. the global church, the universal church. So here it's saying we are committed to having mutual love for our brothers and sisters around the world, concern for one another, sharing with one another, and having accountability. So right. those would be marks of the true universal church. And there are no—I don't know if you you know or not, I'm sure there are no jurisdictional, like— conferences or whatever they however they've got it set up in the umc yeah and the united methodist church they have uh jurisdictional conferences that are only in the united states right and have a massive amount of of muscle outside of the united states all they have is central annual conferences under central conferences that don't carry the same weight right and so it's a inherently u.s centered global methodist church isn't going to be like that in fact the leadership right now is acknowledging that as soon as African uh, Methodists can get out from under the thumb of the United Methodist Church, they're going to be in the majority of the global Methodist Church pretty much in perpetuity. Oh, until like East Asia rises or South America joins, you know, so. Cool. Fine with that. Should be great. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right, paragraph 303, our covenant in Christ. We believe that God has called us to live together in a faithful covenant that expresses our commitments both to God and to each other. With John Wesley, we affirm that the scriptures know no such thing as solitary religion, but that we have been designed to grow in our discipleship in the company of others. As a church, we are committed to a connectional organization that is meant to encourage such sharing and accountability with the end goal of all being partners in the gospel and in our outreach to the world. This connection is founded in both our common doctrinal understandings, as well as in our core mission of sharing the gospel with the world. Towards that end, we celebrate our unity with one another at the table of the Lord that extends across the globe, crossing all boundaries of language, culture, customs, and social and economic distinctions. So a lot of stuff we can pick on there, but the, the, the part near the beginning, the re- re- rebuking solitary religion is pretty key. And a lot of people are going to miss this, but we're rebuking the notion that anyone can be a a solitary Christian or a lone wolf Christian. That if if anyone is truly in Christ, they will be in the accountable accountable community of the local church. No comment. That's fine with me. Paragraph 304, the ministry of the laity, non-clergy. God has entrusted his work in this world to the whole people of God. All Christians are called through their baptism to be in ministry to others, both as individuals and as part of the church, using the gifts and graces with which they have been equipped by the Holy Spirit. Every lay person bears the responsibility for carrying out the Great Commission. We already read through it above. Um, So something about the early church, we've been talking about this book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, and our early church did not believe that it applied to laity. They believed it didn't even apply to all clergy. It only applied to the original 12. Apostles, yeah. Yeah. And then, even despite that, they were more evangelistically successful than the church in America today that's talking about evangelism all the time. So, if you haven't read it before, Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Kreider is an amazing book, but we don't have time for that right now. Anyway, 
Um, the laity were likewise each given power by God to do the Great Commission. For like the variety of spiritual gifts described in the Scriptures, the diversity of our outreach efforts knows no limit either when we serve Christ with joy and thanksgiving. With other heirs of the Protestant Reformation, we embrace the notion of the priesthood of all believers, and we call upon both laity and clergy to work together in a partnership of servanthood. As suggested in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, Christ has not given to pastors the task of doing ministry by themselves, but of equipping those in the church for such works of service so that Quote, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, end quote. We believe that it is only as each individual, whether lay or clergy, bears witness to God's grace that the world may come to know Christ and respond to his invitation to have life in abundance. Each member is therefore expected to be a witness for Christ in the world, a light and leaven in society, and a reconciler in a, in a culture of conflict, identifying with the agony and suffering of the world and radiating the exemplifying, and exemplifying the Christ of hope. As the people of God, we must either win the world to Christ or abandon it to those forces that oppose him. Beyond the diverse forms of ministry in this ultimate concern, that all persons will be brought into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ and be renewed after the image of their Creator. That's a Colossians 3.10 reference. This means that all Christians are called to minister wherever Christ would have them serve and witness in deeds and words that heal and free. Toward that end, the full participation of all who believe is vital and cannot be evaded if the gospel is to be heard and received. There's a lot there. Anything to pick on? Um, I didn't lay out like it's just got the ministry of the lady. It doesn't have the ministry of the clergy. Yeah, and it will. Does it? Below, yeah, okay. yeah. This is just the general church and making clear what the expectation for all disciples is. So I I uh, underlined in that second paragraph the first expectations I really took note of being spelled out this way. Every single member has to be a witness for Christ in the world, a reconciler in the culture of conflict, uh, and identify with agony and suffering and radiating the exemplifying hope of Christ, Christ of hope, either way. So every single lay member of the Global Methodist Church, this is the first expectation very clearly made on them. That's somewhat specific. So anything uh, jump out at you like... Do you, have, do you have pushback against that at all? I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm always curious why they pick on these things and not other things, but you can't do all the things. So, But right. why why do these rise to the surface at, at the top? But yeah, I mean, these are clearly, yeah. If you're a member of the church, of Christ's church on the earth, and you don't want to be a witness for Christ in the world, then yeah, it's weird. that would be very strange, <laughs> yeah. So... Um, I, I think this line between having clergy and lady, having this distinction, but then saying we're all, there's a priesthood of all believers, that's always been hard to figure out. So it does say that the role, um, I did uh, that that first part, first paragraph I underlined, that the work of the clergy is to equip all the laity for service ministry. So the, the, the role of clergy, be they elders, bishops, uh, deacons, 
is just to equip the saints for ministry. And I think that's solid too. Yeah, that sounds fine. Okay. Anything else? Like, uh, nothing jumped out at me in that paragraph. There was something uh, talking about all people being saved rather than just the elect. Uh, So that was in, um, yeah, this section right here that I've got my cursor over, that all persons will be brought into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ and be renewed. So just a, a hope, a hope of universal salvation, okay. which is different from insisting that that's everybody how, is saved. Yeah, right, okay, yeah. you can hope that, but yeah. not, but realize that that's probably not. That's not. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. So, so most Wesleyans I'm aware of find good reason to be optimistic that that's how God's going to do things in the end. He hasn't yet. Oh no, that sounds great. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Is that gonna actually happen like that? Paragraph three oh five. Transformational discipleship. In light of the mission of the church and our covenant in Christ, the GMC engages the commandment to make disciples of Jesus through an intentional process grounded in scripture and in our Wesleyan heritage. Here's where they define what a disciple is. The GMC defines a disciple as a person whose life reflects the character of Christ and extends the mission of Christ in holy love of God and neighbor. The disciples' character and practice are informed by the scriptures, nurtured by the community of faith, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The disciples' mission is to continue the mission and ministry of Jesus through works of teaching, service, multiplication, there's evangelism, mercy, and justice, making more obedient disciples who will reflect the character and mission of Christ and expanding the boundaries of Christ's kingdom further out into the world. The goal of transformational discipleship ministry in the GMC is to make, develop, and nurture disciples of Jesus Christ through small groups where each person is invited, challenged, supported, and held accountable in living sanctified lives that reflect the practices, character, and mission of Christ. All right, that's the Isn't end of they, paragraph 305. Yeah, at least they laid out the, the small group thing. Yeah, I was, I was glad it. that they were specific about it. Um, and they don't make it sound optional. They make it sound like this is part of the DNA. Later on, they have some kind of optional-sounding language, but here... Yeah, and I guess it's going to be up to the church that you're going to, whether they actually decide to push it and mm-hmm. make it a, a centerpiece or not. Very good, yeah. So, I mean, you can't... You, I mean, you could force them. But you could, and you're not going to get a ton of people to join. Probably <laughs> no, you're not. So we'll see what happens. With Did that. your uh, the the definition of a disciple kind of satisfied me? I can't think of anything to add. Yeah, I was I was fine with that. I didn't have any objections to it. Um, I you know the nothing. multiplication thing I just pushed back on because Jesus didn't didn't seem particularly concerned about multiplication sometimes you know yeah he's like oh if they leave they're leaving yeah yeah, yeah. he even dares his own apostles are you going to leave me now too yeah you know and they say where else can we go master you have the words <laughs> of life you know but to imagine that in the DNA of authentic disciples is a concern for multiplication that is a that is a fundamental undergirding of GMC leadership and I'm I'm not sure I'm there yet so maybe that means I'm not an ideal GMC clergy, but I appreciate that they laid it out and defined it. Right. That, that was my pushback against a lot of a lot of the stuff is they don't 
been able to define specific things. Well, and this is why it's so important for us to be walking through this document. It's because they can't do everything all at once. So they lay out the theology piecemeal, which is the only way that you can do it, and then they integrate it as best they can as they go along. And then hopefully that helps us better understand what we're a part of and then what it is that might need to be tweaked or augmented if we're going to faithfully participate. You ready to go to paragraph 306? Let's do it. Called to inclusiveness. Starting out. We recognize that God made all creation and saw that it was good. As a diverse people of God who bring special gifts and evidences of God's grace to the unity of the church and to society, we are called to be faithful to the example of Jesus' ministry to all persons. Inclusiveness, not inclusion, not inclusivity. I found that weird. Inclusiveness means openness, acceptance, and support that enables all persons to participate in the spiritual life of the church and its service to the community and the world. Therefore, inclusiveness denies every semblance of discrimination on the base of race, color, national origin, disability, or gender. And don't get too wound up about gender yet. Defined throughout the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline by a person's immutable biological traits identified by or before before birth. Good for them. I thought that was going in a different direction. (laughs) The services, uh, for viewers that are not savvy, you know, we're in the midst of a culture war now around transgenderism and people identifying as uh, genders outside of the male-female binary or insisting that they can switch from one to the other. And here this is not acknowledging uh, radical, critical uh, gender theory. Uh, This is saying... Uh, you're born male or female, that doesn't change. And based on those things, no one should be excluded from any part of the work of the church. The services, this is back into uh, the discipline, the services of worship of every local church in the GMC shall be open to all persons and church activities wherever possible should take place in facilities accessible to persons with disabilities. Similarly, inclusiveness means the freedom for the total involvement of all persons who meet the requirements of our Book of Doctrines and Discipline in the membership and leadership of the church at any level and in every place. So was that what you feared, TJ? Um, I don't really like that they say... um they don't outline that. They just go, okay, go back in the book, go go back to the book of discipline and look and see what what makes a um, somebody capable of being involved fully, um, instead of defining it right there. Like I, I don't know. It's not specific enough for me, because it just sounds like it sounds a little too open. <laughs> I I don't know. Like what. Well, and my whole thing is the early church was exclusive. Right. Early Methodism was exclusive. The the concern for sounding inclusive. You know, like, it, I'm not against inclusion. I mean, I think what it's just saying is we're not going to discriminate in the body according to... Uh, immutable uh, Immutable biological fine. traits. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. If it's just immutable characteristics, yes. I have no problem with yes. that. It's when we get into other, like, other things. Yeah. Like... But they, they that that in parenthetical clause there is what limits it from getting into other things. Okay, as long as it's so you're happy. Yeah, we have happy Fine. TJ. <laughs> okay, 
Paragraph 307, legal definition of the church. Uh, affirming the spiritual definition. dimensions. Huh? There's a legal definition. Well, yeah, so this is what's caused like a hairy situation in the American courts is, yes, this is a covenant, but it's also a legal document. Gotcha. Both and. So they're going to have a legal definition in case the Book of Discipline has to come and play into play in a legal sense. Well, and you'll see how else it, it does in the, the underlined area near the bottom. Affirming the spiritual dimensions of the ministry of all Christians, it is recognized that this ministry exists in the secular world and that civil authorities may seek legal definition predicated on the nature of the GMC in fulfilling, seeking fulfillment of this ministry. Accordingly, it is appropriate that the meaning of the global Methodist church, the general church, the entire church, and the church as used in this book of doctrines and discipline, should be consonant with the traditional self-understanding of Methodists as to the meaning of these words. These terms refer to the overall denomination and connectional relation and identity of its many local churches, the various conferences and the respective councils, boards, and agencies, and other church units, which collectively constitute the religious system known as global Methodism. Under the procedure set forth in this transitional book of doctrines and discipline, the global Methodist Church as a denominational whole is not an entity, nor does it possess legal capacities and attributes. It does not and cannot hold title to property, nor does it have any officer, agent, employee, office, or location. Conferences, councils, boards, agencies, local churches, and other units bearing the name are, for the most part, legal entities capable of suing and being sued and possessed of legal capacities. So it's doing the exact same thing as the United Methodist Church. You cannot sue the entire United Methodist denomination because it's not technically an entity in a legal sense. GMC, exactly the same. It's saying it, it's, it's the conglomeration of all these different true entities that can be sued, most of them, uh, but it, it's referring to like a, a school or a system of belief. That so true entities being like the ch individual churches and the annual conference? Conferences, councils, boards, agencies, local churches. Okay. So I, I know with the uh, United Methodist Church, um, we basically use their 501c3, correct? We didn't have our own. Yeah, we, we were under some kind of class. Yeah. Yeah, is it the same way? Well, we did have our own tax ID number, our own state tax ID number. Okay. And employer identification number. Right. But I think for some things, yeah, we were under uh, 501c3 coverage uh, by the annual conference, I think. Is that the same thing with the GMC? Oh, I don't know. Oh. Well, so right now we're still not even a global Methodist church. Right, I'm right. Just yeah, Methodist I guess clergy. whenever we vote and if we decide whether we are, hypothetically, if we were to decide to go to the GMC, well, and you already said it. You don't. You don't know if we would use her. Or yeah. If it would be well, and that's partly why I wanted to do this. I knew I wasn't going to read up on this stuff on my own. But if we're doing a segment, then I'll finally read <laughs> this and figure out what the expectations are. Although that might not even be spelled out in this. That might just be uh, a policy that changes from conference to conference. Yeah. This is definitely why people are not watching the videos. I my, because my I eyes don't know. like. Well, no, 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 not that. <laughs> I, I'm just this. This the language. I'm, my eyes are glossing over as I'm as I'm listening to you read this. I'm like, ah, uh, uh, not. 
Yeah, there isn't, there isn't any way to, to jazz through. that up, is there? No, there's not. You could add some jazzy music. Uh, yeah. Please don't do that. <laughs> no. All right, um, how long have we been doing this? Uh, we are hitting about 35 minutes. Okay, okay, let's see if we... We're probably not going to cover the whole section we wanted to, but let's, let's keep trucking. This is section two of part three, the church and the pastoral charge. This is paragraph 308 that we're at now, the role of the local church. The Church of Jesus Christ exists in and for the world. The local church is a strategic base from which Christians move out to the structures of society, providing the most significant arena through which disciple-making occurs. It is a community of true believers under the Lordship of Christ. It is the redemptive fellowship in which the Word of God is preached by persons divinely called, and the sacraments are duly administered according to Christ's own appointment. Under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, the church exists for the maintenance of worship, the edification of believers, and the redemption of the world. The function of the local church, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is to help people to accept and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to live their lives, their daily lives, in light of their relationship with God. Therefore, the local church is to minister to persons in the community where the church is located, to provide appropriate training and nurture to all, to cooperate in ministry with other local churches, to defend God's creation and live as an ecologically responsible community, and to participate in the worldwide mission of the church as minimal expectations of an authentic church. Each local church shall have a definite evangelistic nurture and witness responsibility for its members and the surrounding area and a missional outreach responsibility to the local and global community. It shall be responsible for ministering to all its members wherever they live and for persons who choose it as their church. Oh, I read that wrong. And for persons who choose it as their church. Such a society of believers being within the denomination and subject to its discipline is also an inherent part of the church universal, which is composed of all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So at the end, it's claiming to be part of the church Catholic. Uh, it, it's making clear uh, an undergirding theology. We're not the only believers, but there are believers in other denominations as well, and we're all part of the church Catholic. There's a lot of content in here. Uh, only one thing that I knew that you would probably raise your eyebrows out, which is the ecological community thing. We need to be uh, responsible to the environment. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not worth it. You should, it. but I don't, I, I don't know why you need to include that. Is that an essential? Are we willing to say that uh, it's not an authentic church if the community is not particularly mindful of ecological implications? Yeah, I think that's a little excessive. I think that's just a little tinge of... But it says that this is a minimal expectation of an authentic church. Yeah, I think that one's completely unnecessary. Well, I think you should be... You shouldn't just pollute. Yeah. Like, We're throw not your like, trash on the ground. It would be thing. a bad... Like, it would be a problem if we had the bad guys from Captain Planet in our <laughs> church. Yes. That just love putting sludge in the local water supply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be a problem. I just think it's unnecessary to put in here, but whatever. The other... Uh, it's just the little tinges of wokeism. Well, I think they're just signaling that, hey, if you're not like ultra far-right leaning, you can still have a place here. 
I, I think they, they put language in there to make I think people I'm ultra far right. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty far right. Uh, I don't know about that. I you're feel pretty like, far right. I I feel like I'm very conservative, but I don't feel like I'm that like I don't know. There's just bad connotations whenever you say far right. Well, I guess I refuse those. I don't know. I don't like know. I don't know. I mean, you're not a racist. You're not like a Christian nationalist. Yeah. No. So, but uh, you're pretty, I don't know. <laughs> well, Do you think I'm more far right than you? No. Okay. Okay. But I, I guess I just refuse to think, like, I think I think there's a horseshoe effect where when you go too far right or too far left, both are racist. They believe sure, in racial yeah. essentialism. Yeah. And I think you and I are at the stopping point before that on the right. <laughs> That's a little too close to that that I... <laughs> I just don't, I, I don't, be. I don't think, I think right and left innately both lead to like identitarian group sure, politics yeah. and we, we're not that like, we're much more individualistic and don't believe that race corresponds with quality of, in any sense. Yeah, no, doesn't tell me a whole lot about you. Like your character does. Yeah. And then, but like, so if you, if you line up all of the different issues that divide right and left, you tick the right boxes on every single one. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> and so do I. So, <laughs> um, okay. So anything else to be said about the role of the local church? No, I don't think so. I think it's, that's fine. I didn't. It's good. It, it talks about the role of the Holy Spirit a lot. I think that's important. Um, it talks about disciple making. I wish it said it was the only area in which disciple making occurs because I don't like people entertaining this scenario that you can make disciples outside of the crucible of the church. But whatever. I mean, it's. I like that it's a strategic base. That's a fun metaphor. That's good. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard it described as that. That's different. really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because that's kind of what it is. Yeah. So absolutely, we're in spiritual warfare. We're having a confab of the troops, and we're going back out and going to war. Yeah, it's a base. It's good. Paragraph three hundred nine. Definition of a pastoral charge. A pastoral charge shall consist of one or more churches that are organized under this and subject to the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline of the Global Methodist Church with a charge conference and which a pastor is appointed to serve. So this is very much like the United Methodist Church. A pastoral charge of two or more churches may be designated, designated a circuit or a cooperative parish. When a pastoral charge is not able to be served by an ordained or licensed minister, the bishop, upon recommendation of the cabinet, may assign a qualified and trained layperson to do the work of ministry in that charge. The layperson is accountable to the presiding elder, also DS for all intents right, and purposes, yeah. or another ordained minister appointed to oversee the charge who will make provision for sacramental ministry. If the assignment is to continue longer than one year, the layperson will begin the process of becoming a certified candidate for ministry coming under the care of the Conference Board of Ministry. The layperson assigned is also accountable to the policies and procedures of the annual conference where assigned. So I don't know, I don't, I don't think you know this, but United Methodism had this protected class of clergy that it, for all intents and purposes had tenure. They called it um, a guaranteed appointment system. Once you made it through the Board of Ordained Ministry and you were ordained a deacon or elder, unless char charges were filed against you, you could not be removed and they had to provide an appointment for right, you. Right, yeah. Uh, or at least not. elders. Yeah. Uh, but this class of local licensed pastors, which I was one of them, arose because not enough people could get through the Board of Ordained Ministry and there were more churches that needed service than there were ordained 
pastors to supply them. So they created this third category, this non-biblical category of clergy, local licensed pastor, and that group continued to grow and swell um, in perpetuity. And even that wasn't enough. They still had to have laity that hadn't even been trained. They were called lay supply pastors. Yeah, and they yeah. would stay in place for years and years. They tried well, even local license. I mean, you were a local license pastor. I was. Yes, the I, entire I could time. not the entire time. I couldn't make it through the board of ordained ministry. Yeah. I was seminary trained. I'm the most Wesleyan person you know. <laughs> Couldn't make it through. I made, I wrote a whole article about that uh, on my Substack called uh, "My Ordination in the Global Methodist Church." I think. Anyway, here it's making clear we're not going to be doing this lay supply thing. We're not going to do this local licensed pastor thing. We will have some short term yeah, transitional. There's thing. A, a time limit to you. Yeah, do, if, if, if you're doing it for longer, longer than a year. Yeah. yeah, I like that. That's that makes sense. Yeah. It's good for them. Absolutely. Not one negative thing to say yeah. about that. Okay. Let's do... I am oh, curious as to what the training for the layperson would be. You know, and I don't think that's been laid out yet. Yeah, probably um, not. A uh, friend of the show, James Lambert, wants to be a part of uh, that. He's he's real passionate about equipping the clergy and, and lay, lay leadership for ministry, so I think he'll be fantastic at that. Section three, church membership. Do not let your eyes glaze over. Uh, we'll see. Keep them wide open. Paragraph 310, eligibility. The GMC is a part of the Holy Catholic Church, the Universal Church, as we confess the Apostles and Nicene Creeds. Oh, I wonder if they're saying that the UMC is not part of the Universal Church because they don't confess the creeds. That's an interesting thing. <laughs> okay, that's what constitutes memberships. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, that constitutes church membership is that membership in the church catholic in the church universal they can they uh they conflate with confessing those creeds interesting whereas before it was those who confess christ as lord and savior i think or maybe that's below see this is i i'm really eager to see what happens with the ecumenical dialogue around the gmc because it seems to me that they have conflicting views of what it takes to be members of the church catholic We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Let, let's go on. In the church, Jesus Christ is proclaimed and professed as Lord and Savior. All people may attend its worship services, participate in its programs, receive the sacraments, and upon taking vows of membership, become members in any local church in the connection. If you can see that part that I underlined, that was not true of the early church. I think they're just saying in the first part that we confess in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that we are part of the Catholic Church, Universal Church. You don't think it's a causative thing? No, I don't think they're saying you have to have to confess these creeds to be. If part those of the words, Church. okay, all right, you know, we'll see. But the words "as we confess" right up next to it, abutting it, says to me that there is a. Connected relationship. Yeah, the Global Methodist Church is part of the Holy Catholic Universal Church, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed. So it's not a, as we do this stuff that makes us, it's a, we're part of it. And this is we're, one of the things that part, we're doing. Basically, we're a part of it because we say that the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, and it says in those creeds that we're part of it, is what they're saying. It's what I get from that first. Okay. That, so. Okay. That's interesting. Maybe. Yeah. That is very clumsy. That is very clumsy phrasing if that's what they mean. But it's not a sin to be clumsy, so great. 
All right, let's let's go on. In, Their eyes were probably glossing over at this point as they were writing it too. So, <laughs> I no, I don't think so. I think the only people who write this stuff are nerds that love it. So, uh-huh. that's not meant as a burn, by the way. I love nerds, but I'm not one of them. Um, in the case of persons whose disabilities prevent them from assuming the vows, their legal guardians themselves members in full covenant relationship with God and the church, the community of faith, may assume the appropriate vows on their behalf. So when we're talking about infants, baptizing infants that can't answer for themselves or severely disabled people that uh, it's making clear that you can initiate people into the community of faith, give them the sacraments, let them participate if they have sponsors or parents that are active, vital members of the community of faith. Yeah, I guess you kind of have to do that if you're going to do infant baptism. Or baptism of severely disabled people. So, uh, But the thing here that a lot of people need to hear but might not hear is if there are parents that want you to baptize their baby but they are not part of the church and they don't intend to be, you should not baptize their baby. That's not appropriate at all. Yeah, themselves members in full covenant relationship with with God and the church. Right. So, yeah. Already members, so yeah. that that it should be established already. You're not going on a wing and a prayer that they're going to be around. You're establishing that the relationship's already in place. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just weird to me that people would want to do that without being a member of the church. I, mean, I know it happens, but it's just weird. Oh, it's the norm. Yeah, yeah, got that covered. Got him baptized. Got that Jesus water. We're we're in. Got some <laughs> Good pictures to, go. to show. You're it. going to heaven. There you go. Um, if you think that that's a mocking tone, it is. Yeah, yeah. Paragraph 311, definition of membership. The membership of a local GM church shall include all people who have been baptized and all people who have professed their faith. Oh, uh, stop there. Is it saying it. that you have to be baptized in order to be a, a member of the Global Methodist Church? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was the case with the United Methodist was Church it? as well. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. This this I don't think there's any difference here between membership in the GMC and the UMC. I think this is pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, but they let people be members that haven't been baptized, right? You. No? Shouldn't. Okay. That's pastoral malpractice if they did. Now that did happen in this church uh with one of the members, but when they discovered it, they immediately baptized her. That was before I came. Yeah. So but yeah, no, no, it's that's crazy. What do you no. No. I don't know. I, I mean, you never, you never asked me, but I was already baptized. You, you asked me if I was baptized, but yes, I, I did. Baptized. Yeah. I, you were baptized. Yeah. I didn't need to rebaptize. Yeah. You. So I didn't even think about it. Like, yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to make somebody a member who's not baptized. That'd be that'd be nuts. I feel like that happens all the time in other churches. In other churches. I don't have nice things to oh. say about that. <laughs> yeah. So I, victory. If I'm taking that as an example, I didn't have to be baptized to be a member there. That's so ridiculous. What are they at doing? That point, but yeah, you had to be a in order to go to school there and volunteer there. You had to be a member, and I don't even remember if they asked me if I was baptized or not. That's so embarrassing. That interesting. Mm. Yeah. What are know. you doing if you're a church and you're not putting baptism front and center? Just like oh, well, that when you think baptism and all of the commandments of God are just optional. They're, I mean, that's what it tells. Sure. Me. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here's the four points about uh, membership. Uh, one is the baptized membership of a local church shall include all baptized people who have 
received Christian baptism in the local congregation or elsewhere, they don't define what Christian baptism is or whose membership has been transferred. Whether it's what? sprinkled or immersed. No, they do talk fully. about that. Oh, okay. But they don't say, hey, Mormons, they baptize, but it's not legit baptism. They don't say, hey, if you were baptized in a, a tiny little hick town non-denominational church and they didn't say the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and they didn't have any kind of coherent Christian theology, that's not legit. They, they don't do anything like that. They just uh -huh. say, were you baptized? You're on the ba baptism membership. Did role. they dunk you in some water and did you, they write your name down somewhere? Oh, good to go. I mean, so far, I, I mean, they could have a later section where they get into it more, but yeah, I don't see. That's I don't just, think so. That's that's. I think that's my biggest pushback against this whole document is it seems like it's maybe in their head they set it up in a coherent like uh, fashion, and it just doesn't seem like like if I have to jump around to get certain things, that just irritates me. Well, like, that's, put it all. there's no way to do it all in one place at <laughs> maybe, once, DJ. Maybe. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> here's a baptism section. Here's a Holy yeah. Spirit section. Here's a what we believe about the Bible section. That's the only way you can do it. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do it like that. Oh, or do it like this. That is what they're doing. Sort of. Uh, they're Okay, they're... You can't hit all the things. It's a big web, interconnected it's web. It's a gigantic document that I feel like is a little too much. Well, we'll see... I bet we get to the end of it and you're going, man, I wish there was more. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's really, we want to make these things really simple, but they're actually complicated. You know, so the thing I'm critiquing right here is actually I would have it get more complicated about what constitutes a valid Christian baptism. Sure, yeah. But but what you're saying That's my is, pushback earlier, too, is because they didn't define, def like, define terms or define well they so weren't specific about they it, so. referenced discipleship they didn't find it right there but then pretty soon afterwards they did come back and ref define discipleship so yeah i think that, that should be they're laying things center. out broadly and then they're coming out and getting particular about some things and then you know there's a lot that i mean even in the united methodist church they had a, a much bigger book of discipline that got much more particular but even then they had to have documents outside of that that uh more clearly explicated the doctrine around uh, sacraments, you know, which I hope we uh, adopt, actually, because they're fantastic documents. Um, but here, you know, around membership, they're, they're, I think this is just the bones on which they're going to put muscle later. So, but it's important to understand, you know, as, as people are growing your global Methodist churches that you're in, this is how you need to do things. And if you let it get messy, then, I mean, what was one of the lessons that we learned at the end of leaving the United Methodist Church, if you hadn't maintained good membership records, it was a nightmare. And a lot of bad things happened to people who just went, oh, I just want to serve Jesus, not keep good records. Well, if you don't do this part well, it can really hurt your church. So learn the system. Our church had an easy time because I did the system. Whatever. Point two, the professing membership of a local church shall include all baptized people who have come into the membership by profession of faith through appropriate services of the baptismal covenant in the ritual or by transfer from other churches. Point three, for statistical purposes, church membership is equated to the number of people listed on the roll of professing members. And point four, all baptized or professing members of any local GM congregation are members of the GMC and members of the Church Universal. Your eyes glazed over. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay. I, the first part was I had pushback about, and the rest of it's like, okay. Oh, you had pushback? What, 
What did you push back in the first? Part? I just well, I guess not really push back, okay. but I just thought it was. I I didn't realize that they required you to be baptized in order to be a member. While that makes sense, it just didn't like register in my head that. I don't know. Like like I said, for some churches, that's not a requirement. Good. Like you can do it or afterwards. Not good. No, yeah, you you think that's not good. Right. Yeah, it's not Which good I'm, for yeah, them. No, it's, it's good to me that we actually have something distinctive where we're saying no. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. Paragraph three twelve, the meaning of a sacrament. A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. God gives us the sign as a means whereby we receive this grace, and as a tangible assurance that we do, in fact, receive it. The two sacraments ordained by Christ are holy baptism and holy communion, also called the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Those are two words for holy communion. We receive the sacraments by faith in Christ, with repentance and thanksgiving. Faith in Christ enables us to receive the grace of God through the sacraments, and obedience to Christ is necessary for the benefits of the sacraments to bear fruit in our lives. That last part is all about re rebuking works righteousness. So, uh, at least according to Protestant understanding, within the Roman Catholic Church, it doesn't matter how much you're bearing fruit in your life or obeying Christ. If you just go and get the sacraments, you go and do the things, you'll be saved. Here it's saying, no, it's only under the condition uh, by having faith and repentance and thanksgiving marked with obedience that the sacraments do anything towards your salvation. No pushback. That's fine. Paragraph 313, sacramental authority. In keeping with the historic practice of the Christian church, elders are ordained to oversee the sacramental life of the church and thus have full authority to preside at celebrations of holy baptism and holy communion. Ba uh, bishops may extend their sacramental authority to deacons appointed to the office of pastor in a local church or to other specialized ministry setting for the purpose of celebrating the sacraments. Such sacramental authority for a deacon is limited to the appointed ministry setting and is exercised under the oversight and authority of a presiding elder. So this is just about who, who can preside over sacraments and Only. not laity. Only elders and deacons is what's... Only elders and bishops, and then some deacons if okay. the bishop gives some authority. Yeah. I... If you were a church, an American Baptist church or something, where you think anybody should be baptizing or doing communion anytime, this it's gonna it's not going to go away. The Global Methodist Church believes that this is one of the distinct roles of clergy. Hmm. Even the Roman Catholic Church lets uh, laity... Baptize people. Do they really? Uh, in in situations where it looks like they're going to die. Yeah, huh. I I would push back against that. I don't really like that priesthood. All believers. Yeah, I'm very Baptisty on that kind of thing. Okay, so I'm going to let you keep your membership anyway. Buddy. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, paragraph three fourteen. The meaning of baptism. I put a star by this because all of it's worthy. Through holy baptism, we are united in Christ's death in repentance of our sins. We're raised to new life in him through the power of the resurrection. We're incorporated into the body of Christ. We're empowered through the work of the Holy Spirit to go on to perfection. Holy baptism is God's gracious gift to us, flowing from the once-for-all work of Christ Jesus and our pledge to follow as his disciples. 
It's it's basically one big sentence. I think it's really scripturally solid, though. That's fine. Yeah. And the fact that the being united in Christ's death is right up front. That's that's excellent Romans Christian theology. It's good. Paragraph three fifteen: the mode and practice of baptism. Holy baptism may be performed by sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. The outward and visible sign of the holy baptism is water. Candidates are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The inward and spiritual grace is death to sin and new birth to righteousness by faith through union with Christ in his death and resurrection. So I was a little disingenuous earlier that it does define baptism, having the formula of the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What I wish was here is to say, if these things were not in place, it was not a Christian baptism. So unless it says, well, wait, let me go on. Holy baptism is administered among a gathered congregation. Those present vow on behalf of Christ's holy church to receive the baptized into the church universal, to grow together in grace, and to remember their profession made and benefits received in holy baptism. Candidates for holy baptism and those presenting candidates unable to answer for themselves shall be instructed in the Christian faith and the meaning of holy baptism. Holy baptism as initiation into Christ's holy church occurs once in a person's life. Holy communion serves as the regular and continual affirmation of the baptismal vows within the church. Through a service of baptismal remembrance and reaffirmation of baptismal vows, people can renew the covenant declared at baptism. So there's nothing wrong with renewing your covenant, but you can't. There are no do-overs. There's only one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So global Methodists are not to rebaptize people who've already been baptized, which right. is as long as it's legitimate. But the the yeah, I mean yes, but it doesn't do that work to deter. I mean it does some of the work, okay. But I, I really wish it said, okay, if they were not baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you need to baptize them because they weren't actually baptized. It doesn't say that. Or to say, if they were baptized privately in a creek, that's not a baptism. They were not among the gathered congregation. You know, so it talks mm. about these markers, but it doesn't talk about them what in a conditional the, nature. What about the, the Ethiopian eunuch? Right. So you can, yeah, you can make that case. Yeah. He's by himself. Well, with Philip, no, well, but yeah. yes. But it was just the two of them. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be weird to stipulate that you have to be among the... Like, I think you should be among the congregation, sure, yeah. Yeah. It's weird if you want to go off and do it by yourself, but is that, you have to have that? I don't think that's, I think that's a little unnecessary. So we could have that conversation. I'm just saying I would like it if it had more stringent, you know, to be considered holy baptism, baptism, it has this to be is not this. A baptism, yeah, yeah, and they they they're not doing that. But they they talk about. I think they're doing this just in the notion if if you're doing a baptism, do it in the congregation, do it, you know, with water. It doesn't matter how. Use the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, if you're going to be baptism. a global, if you're going to be in the global Methodist Church, this is how you need to do baptism. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. But yeah. Uh, Maybe that I'll come back. I will repent. I will renounce myself <laughs> if we go down somewhere and it actually spells out. Here's what it takes to be considered a baptism. But we're, we're pushing an hour now, so are we? Yeah. Let me see how much we want to. There's more the baptismal vows. We should just probably go over the baptismal vows because confirmation is after that, and then we can start up on confirmation in the next video. Okay. Is that is that good? Oh, we'll see. I'll think about it. Um, okay, so we're in paragraph. 
3.16, and faithfulness with early Christian practice as well as Wesleyan tradition, those wishing to receive the sacrament of holy baptism within the GMC shall first be asked the following questions. Do you renounce the devil and all his works, reject the evil powers of this world? Uh, and yeah, you renounce them. Do you repent of your sin, turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? I do. Do you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? I do. Do you accept the responsibility to resist evil, injustice, and oppression by the grace and power of God? I do. Will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life by the grace and power of God? I will. Um, these largely reflect historic questions. I'm pretty sure in the United Methodist Church it did not make explicit reference to the devil and all his works. Really? So, pretty sure. We don't even have a hymnal in here, do we? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure. We did talk about receiving the power, except the power. Here they say responsibility to resist evil, injustice, and oppression by the grace and power of God. In, in the UMC, it was, do you accept the power God gives you to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they take or something like that? So I always wish that there was a little more dialogue with Jesus who says, do not resist an evildoer, you know, uh, but that's not the point of this segment here. It's just, you've been given a holy calling, you've been given power, you've been given responsibility, authority, do you accept it? So... Um, I boilerplate sounds pretty crass, but this this is firmly within the tradition of the Church Catholic. Um, those who present candidates for holy baptism who are unable to answer for themselves will also be asked the question: Will you nurture these children or people in uh, Christ's holy Church that by your teaching and example they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly, and lead a Christian life? Answer is: I will. The congregation is then asked to affirm their commitment to support the baptismal candidate in the faith. Will you witness to these vows? Will you who witness these vows encourage these persons in their faith and do all in your power to support them in their life in Christ? We will. And then baptismal candidates or those presenting candidates unable to answer themselves are then asked to confess their faith is contained in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. That's directly from the United Methodist Church. And it's the Apostles' Creed, but I don't know why it has the bottom part of sections two and three, and uh, those aren't parentheses, they're, uh, they're something like parentheses, that implies to me that that's optional, which is really weird. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. That's, that's at the bottom of page 27 for people who want to look at it yourself. Yeah, because the only thing that's not in parentheses is... Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. And then, oh, I guess, and then do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's all the rest of it. There's a lot more in that. that You should not skip over. I I don't think it's appropriate for anyone to skip over those parts. I really, it's almost like they copied and pasted it from the United Methodist hymnal and just didn't think, I don't know. I wonder... I, I did write Walter Fenton asking who authored different parts of the book of do- Doctrines and Discipline. Who's Walter Fenton? He's, um, he's like the secretary of the whole church. Okay. So he's behind the scenes, knows everything. He's, he's, he's been in it forever. Very smart guy. But I asked him, who, who authored? I wanted to run by the social witness part 
with the original authors uh, to see if I interpreted them rightly. And he said, the whole TLC approved it. You should just consider that all of them wrote it. So I, essentially there's no one I can ask who authored these about like the intent or undergirding theology, which is problematic because I can't help but infer the things that I infer here. Uh, the parentheses convey, if, if not an optional nature, what else would that can convey? I don't know. <laughs> I just got nothing but, else. Yeah, there's you know? nothing. I don't think there's anything else. I don't know why you would. And the Apostles' Creed is the most succinct of the creeds. We just said that we confess the Apostles and Nicene creeds, and yet at the entryway of church membership, we're going to abbreviate it. That just makes no sense to me. So anyway, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there will be plenty in the coming pages to uh, uh, insist on the essential nature of the creeds. All right, uh, I wanted to at least close out this section, uh, section three, church membership. It looks like we're going to have to pick up in paragraph 317 next week. TJ, you are going to be back next week. I will be back on Friday night. So. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, you're going to be gone that long. It's okay. Be a long time. So I will get a guest to come and record there with me, and you're going to miss out, buddy. So I'm really sorry. You could uh, get um, Robbie. Maybe. He doesn't have patience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie would be cursing me 10 minutes in for making him do this. I think I'm going to try and get James Lambert. It's been a while since I had him. I, yeah, James will probably be up for it. Oh, yeah. He'll love it. Yeah. All right. Well, friends, we we got to wrap. Thanks for spending time with us. I know we didn't cover as much ground as I said we would. I will try and be more humble in my aspirations. Um, I, I hope you find it worthy. I've, I, want, I meant to say throughout this, anything that a church puts in writing is inherently theological. There is nothing in the world that is not theological. Everything is based on undergirding understandings of who God is, what we're called to do and be. So if we're going to have documents written for the denomination, it's very important that we understand what is written and that what is written is worth writing down. So uh, we've covered a lot of good ground today. If I was a perfect uh, host of this, I would have compared it against all the UMC language word for word. I'm not going to do that. That's for some other nerd. This is about as nerdy as I get. So uh, I, I hope you benefited. I hope, uh, I hope this document is something that you find useful for understanding the GMC, and I hope uh, it continues to be perfected as, you know, my prayer is I'm doing all this, is that global Methodists are more engaged and effective in their shared covenant than in the United Methodist Church where it was co-opted. So anything, any other closing notes, TJ? Nope. Thanks to you for helping me out with this. Uh, thanks to uh, all of our patrons on Locals and uh, all the love and support. If you think this is helpful, share it, uh, post it around. Let's make sure that we have an informed populace. All right, see you guys later.